Strava Craft Coffee is rich, tasty CBD-infused coffee that you can purchase in K-Cups or you can get it in whole bean or you can get it ground. And the best part is they will ship it directly to your door. No trip to the store, none of that. Just get your coffee straight from Strava and use that code DNVR20. When you make that purchase, you're going to get 20% off your entire purchase. The CBD infusions could do a myriad of different things for you. They could help you with back pain, arthritis. It's definitely worth a try. And if not, you can always just get some regular coffee from Strava. Hit them up. Strava Craft Coffee. Use the code DNVR20 at checkout. Welcome in to the DNVR Broncos podcast presented by MSU Denver Online. Go to msudenver.edu slash online to scope out all they have to offer. There's really never been a better time than now to get that degree that you've been thinking about. And MSU Denver Online can get you hooked up. They've got 40 plus online and hybrid programs and 750 total classes. So make sure you head to MSU Denver dot edu slash online today and check out what they got to offer over there as you know we're all big big road runners guys here on this podcast of course we are i've played basketball there it's the best camp i've ever been to so i'm sure the online experience is top notch as well and those road runners uh equivalent of the roadrunner against wally coyote i always liked the roadrunner myself so why should it be any different now that i'm in denver yes and uh, I had a good segue using the Roadrunner and speed, but that's not where I want to take this anyway. So did you guys, did you guys hear the good news from last night? <sighs> that yes, there's a certain champion among the DNVR Madden League. Oh, man. Your boy going into the game, 0-10, really struggling. Tough season for the Eagles. Brandon Spano coming in hot. With the seven and three Seahawks, a live crowd of dozens on Twitch, and holding it down for the podcast, I defeated Brandon Spano hey. in a absolute barn burner. Wow, that is that. I mean, in just the fashion the game went down, oh, intend to get your first win against Brandon. Boy, I bet you wouldn't have drawn it up any other way. Oh, it was fantastic. It, it, when I saw that and I knew that you were winless, I was wondering heg- exactly how many games you'd lost and how many Brandon had won because I was thinking back, you guys, I was thinking back to when were there big upsets, a team that was winless, say 0-9, 0-10 in NFL history that took out a, a good team. The only one I could think of was when the Packers on route to Super Bowl 32, where they lost the Broncos, lost to an 0-10 Colts team. Wow. And then the next year, <laughs> that Colts team drafted Peyton Manning. Well, you know what they say, any given Wednesday, you never know <laughs> what's going to 
what's going to happen. But man, uh, I think it was actually a pretty entertaining uh, affair for people to watch. Like the people who are watching on the Twitch and you can check us out at Twitch. Um, I think it's twitch.tv backslash DNVR underscore sports. Uh, the people that were watching were like living and dying on every play because it was, it was pretty intense. I took an early lead. Brandon came back. He has, he was driving at the end of the game. He got the ball back with less than a minute, no timeouts, but he hit a 60 yard pass to Tyreek Hill, like right off the bat. So he was in scoring range with like 30 seconds left and then threw the, uh, the nail in the coffin interception into the end zone. It was awesome. Oh, but who got it? Um, I believe it was Xavier Howard, but I'm not sure off the top of my head. Game ball to Xavier Howard. The heroics to get that first win. Well, the game ball might have to go to Cam Newton, who's almost perfect passing the ball in the game. 11 of 12, 153 yards, three TDs. Whoa, why, why only throwing it 12 times? Because the run game was working. Yeah, you could also give the uh, the game ball to Boston Scott, who had like 17 carries for 117 yards. Well, how about that? Everything was clicking. Yeah, the best part was then Spano tried to get me to rematch after the game, and I just said <laughs> no. <laughs> it, uh, we have the audio of it. It He is shook. Let's run it back on, uh, on a regular game. Ah, uh, no, nah, man, I'm going to call it a night. Oh, 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 taking his chips and going home? Are you kidding me? Yep. Uh, I'm gonna have a, I'm gonna have a celebratory <laughs> glass of whiskey and uh, oh, what? call it a night. Wait, 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 wait. <laughs> dude, 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 dude. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You are literally. <laughs> that you got to go out on top. Yeah, exactly. All right, but in in the Broncos world. Um, not Bronco land in, in the, in the Broncos universe, an interesting thing happened yesterday that certainly sparked up some conversation and, uh, props to our friends Stokely and Zach who had DT Demarius Thomas on their radio show yesterday. Uh, and they asked him, you know, uh, what he would think about coming back to Denver, how he feels about continuing to play and DT was headstrong that he wants to return to the Broncos. He wants to be a part of this. He wants to help the young receivers. He said all of the right things. So I toss it to you, Andrew Mason. Should the Broncos bring back Demarius Thomas? There's a specific circumstance which I think would make the Broncos consider bringing back Demarius Thomas, and it's only coming out of the draft with one wide receiver. Because at that point, You've got some room there, and he, you can potentially see him latching on to a spot. You figure the cost is going to be about a million dollars, but there are a couple other things to consider. Number one, with all the uncertainty regarding everything, let's say you give him a million guaranteed. Are the Broncos going to be in a position where they're pinching pennies like that just yet, or are they going to have a fairly a robust budget, at least on the football side, knowing – that all the TV money is coming in. The other thing is this. You're asking for leadership from Demarius Thomas, more so than performance. His performance last year was okay, not great, but a solid uh, contributor, number two or number three receiver level stats. But if you want leadership, 
if that's what you need. And the offense overall is missing veteran leadership. Now, Drew Locke is growing into that role, but you don't have a lot of uh, mid mid to late career veterans on that side of the ball, realistically. Wouldn't it be more palatable to bring in, say, a Jason Peters, who's still on the market for that sort of leadership? Sign me up for both, honestly. <laughs> um, so you mentioned only only if they come away from the draft with one ride receiver. But I was doing the math last night. And let's just – let's budget two wide receivers into this uh, current team that automatically make the team. So you've got Cortland Sutton. We're calling him a lock. For the sake of this conversation, I'll even call Deshaun Hamilton a lock, and I think he's about as close to a lock as you can be. I agree. Two wide receivers from the draft. So now you're at four. I'll even say you keep Deontay Spencer as a lock. He's your returner. Because he is your returner. So now you have one more spot. And the people that you have around are Tim Patrick, Jawan Winfrey, who for this, for, for this uh, conversation, I'll even remind you that Jawan Winfrey is practice squad eligible. So you got Tim Patrick or Demarius Thomas. And to me, that's a very, very easy decision. So even if he's the sixth wide receiver on the roster, I still think it, it's a move that you want to make. Now, you, you're going to have to pay him a little bit more than than uh tim patrick i assume but to me you keep dt and heck if Jawan winfrey plays so well that uh you know you you just can't fathom putting him on the practice squad well then you you know you tell dt thanks for coming through uh we're gonna stick with Jawan winfrey or if you must you can keep seven wide receivers Here's the thing, from a Broncos perspective, sure, why, why would you not? Just like you're saying, Ryan, give him a vet minimum deal. If he makes the team as a six-wide receiver, great. If he doesn't, well, then great as well. It means that someone else beat him out. But DT said all of the right things. He said it would be amazing to reunite. He said he's been in contact with Cortland Sutton, giving him advice. In fact, talking to Cortland Sutton about potentially returning to the Broncos. All of those things are great. And but what he also said, it wasn't bad, but it just makes me think a sixth wide receiver spot isn't what he's looking for because he, he, he said a couple times that he's still got good ball left in him. Uh, how hitting 10,000 yards for his career is still very important to him. And so a sixth wide receiver spot, uh, I don't think he's taking that because he's only 250 yards away from 10,000 yards. A sixth receiver isn't doing that. A fifth receiver isn't doing that. A fourth the, uh, receiver isn't doing that. And the other thing, the sixth receiver, if he doesn't play special teams, he's inactive. Right. So when I and say Deontay st- Spencer's going to be up, and you and you figure some of these young receivers are going to be up. You think Demarius Thomas is going to go out there as a gunner? If he's, if you're going to have him, he has to be realistically one of your top three receivers, or he's not getting a jersey on game day. This is what happened with Jerry Rice back in 2005 when the Broncos brought him in. He would have been their fourth wide receiver, and that would have meant he had to play special teams. And Jerry Rice, at that point in his life, heading into what would have been his 21st NFL season, he wasn't going to do that, so he just opted to retire. Demarius Thomas, not as old as Jerry Rice, but certainly with all the injuries, you've seen the production slide. He's on the backside of his career I just don't see a spot for him 
as a backup wide receiver getting a jersey if he's not going to play special teams. And I don't think that's in the offense. So when I say sixth receiver, I'm only just saying there are six spots and at most only five of them are claimed right now. When I'm talking about just making room for DT, I think he's significantly uh, more in position to be a third receiver for this team, maybe fourth, depending on how Deshaun Hamilton plays and, and also depending on who they get in the draft. In my head, I'm budgeting, okay, they're getting a first-round wide receiver. That is your second receiver. Your third wide receiver uh, could be Demarius Thomas. It could be Deshaun Hamilton. Beyond that, if you go to number four, you are definitely saying that Demarius Thomas is better who, than whoever's on the roster. Unless you really knock it out of the park, maybe you got uh, LaVisca Chenault and a Henry Ruggs. And, and then now DT's probably out of the cards. But – that's assuming a lot and and the truth is here there's no rush so if you do and if you do end up coming away with only one wide receiver if you do end up coming away with maybe a first round pick and a fourth round pick I just think the more young players you have in that room the more valuable it is to have Demarius Thomas around remember you know this is a guy who I remember watching spend a whole practice working with Deshaun Hamilton just trying to help him uh, you know, understand what they were trying to do out there. He's a guy who I really think could be a huge help. And the truth is, Emmanuel Sanders, in my opinion, did a little bit of damage to that wide receiver room in terms of leadership or lack thereof. And I think bringing DT back could help correct some of that damage. So why not? When you're saying all of this, just one thing's in my mind. Why not bring him back? As a coach, why not bring him back in that DeMarcus Ware role? Now, obviously, it doesn't sound like that's what DT wants, but from a Broncos perspective, it sounds like that would be the perfect thing. In fact, DeMarcus Ware, I believe, was on the fan a couple of weeks ago uh, and, and said something along the lines of his job wasn't about technique. It wasn't about X's and O's. It was helping these guys teach them a couple of, of moves, but also helping them get through tough times and helping them from really a leadership standpoint. And it sounds like that's what we want DT here for. Uh, that would be the perfect role. So that jumps out. Obviously, I don't think that's what DT is looking for at all. But in terms of on the field, boy, uh, our guy Kai on Twitter pointed it out yesterday, a Larry Fitzgerald role and, and moving him because DT is not going to be your burner on the outside. He's not going to be taking two two tackles to take him down on the outside anymore and that is on the field the thing that makes me say okay this could be an option but I mean if he could have been that Larry Fitzgerald world I don't think you're trading him for a fourth round pick two years ago so I think that's John kind of saying we're we're done with this but that is the the best argument that I've heard from on the field of maybe why it could work. And then we're talking third receiver potentially. Yeah, a third receiver at best. And the other thing, while Demarius Thomas, he's going to be a ring of famer. He's a name that's going to feel good to a lot of Bronco fans. What is one thing that they've been doing this offseason in terms of the moves they've made? They've been cutting ties with the few guys that are left from Super Bowl 50. It's down to, you know, what, Vaughn Miller. Brandon McManus, does Todd this, Davis. yeah, Todd Davis, does this really go 
hand in hand with that overall philosophy that you're trying to distance yourself from Super Bowl 50 and move on from the past. I just, I don't think it makes sense for where the Broncos are going. Well, I think in the grand scheme of things, if the question is, will it happen? My answer would be probably no. Uh, But personally, I think uh, it would be a mistake to not even just give him a chance to make the team and just have him around these guys. You know, when you talk about those Super Bowl 50 folks that you've been kind of trying to rid yourself of, or at least an attitude that you're trying to rid yourself of. I don't think DT falls into that category. Um, I just, man, you know, I think this locker room could desperately use a guy like Demarius Thomas in there to lead, to to be someone who's seen it all. You know, we're talking about an extremely, extremely young offense. And yes, if you ask me to choose between Jason Peters and Demarius Thomas, I'm definitely taking Jason Peters. But I... I just think it would be really valuable to have Demarius Thomas in that locker room, talking with Drew Locke, going over, you know, what they're seeing out there. Um, A guy who has seen it all in this league, working with this extremely young offense and a guy who is very selfless, uh, not going to, you know, uh, cause any issues over his role sort of thing. Um, I think that, you know, that DT would be a really good fit. Ryan, like you said, there's not a rush. I do not expect the Broncos to sign DT before the draft at all. There's not going to be a rush for them to sign him the Sunday after the draft. And DT made it clear that, or I felt that he made it clear that it's not Broncos or bust for him. He wants to play football and any team could have signed him by now. He's probably going to linger, but additionally, not just till the draft, Ryan, these guys aren't going to be together likely until training camp, whenever that is, the end of July, August, whenever that is. So the rush isn't just after the draft. It's, I don't think you have to sign him, worry about this until training camp rolls around. Then you see how things are shaken out. Uh, You maybe get an idea which of these wide receivers you drafted are going to have an impact. And then you say, you know what? We could really use a fourth receiver And especially with all of the things that we've talked about, the great things that DT brings, let's bring him in. So the rush isn't just right after the draft. It's you have a lot of time. So DT's got got to make sure that that he stays ready for that. Or maybe you're just simply waiting for an injury. And if there's an injury, he's still out there. He's the first one you call. Right. Touch wood. Um, Okay. Let's put, I I think that's the answer to the question is no rush, no rush at all. Um, Let's play a quick game of smokescreen or no smokescreen. Michael Lombardi, say of him what you will, uh, he is reporting uh, recently that the Broncos are trying to make a move with the Cleveland Browns to trade up to number 10, and that is my absolute sweet spot. It's the one place I think you can go where you know you're going to get a player of a certain caliber. So – Smokescreen or no smokescreen? Well, when there's multiple smokescreens and there's a lot of smoke coming from someplace, doesn't there have to kind of be a fire? Because this isn't the first report that we've heard of the Broncos trying to trade up. And now there's a specific team that the Broncos are being linked to with Cleveland. So maybe it's because I want to believe it, but I do believe this. And you know what? There's not that it's great. I I love the idea, especially because it falls under what we've been saying. Uh, If you want one of these top guys, 
10 is a perfect spot to land. So maybe it's just because I want to believe it, but also now we've seen multiple things. And I know we're a week out from the draft and it's smoke screen season, but when you see a lot of smoke, it means there's a little bit of fire. I have to unfortunately say, consider the source on this when he could prove to be right. But uh, Lombardi does throw a lot of stuff uh, at the wall and some of it sticks and some of it doesn't. He's also the guy that said that Doug Peterson was less qualified to coach a team than anyone he'd ever seen. And all Doug Peterson did was take the Eagles to their first world championship in the Super Bowl era. So with Lombardi, I just kind of, that's one of those guys where I just take it with a grain of salt. But when there's multiple grains of salt, isn't that something that, that you do uh, then put on your plate and examine? The other thing that happens also is that uh, we know that John Elway calls around and calls for every possibility up or down. That's something he has a reputation for doing. So, you know, I'm, I I think if the Broncos did want to ensure themselves of getting one of those uh, receivers then, or or offensive tackle, if that was their direction, I still think it's likely receiver, then they would have to, then they'd have to consider moving up. But it's not something where I'm sitting here saying, Oh, they're definitely going up. I I don't see it. I think they're just, I think they're at price checking point right now as in seeing what it will take to move up and can a reasonable deal be made? Because remember you, you lost the the chance at the league meetings for John Elway to talk face to face with a lot of these other GMs and get a feel for what they were thinking in terms of a price to move up or move back. Well, Mace, that's where I am too. I'm not saying the Broncos have a deal in place with Cleveland or a deal in place with anyone to move up. Uh, but, but I do believe that they're talking and whether it's just John Elway seeing if he can move up to 10 for a fourth round pick. I like that he's at least exploring the option and really that it's, it's not a surprise. He's just doing his job. It's the believe nothing time of year though. I'm very skeptical on this stuff. So I am going to say uh, this. uh, I'm going to contradict myself here. I think this is a smokescreen, but I don't think that means the Broncos aren't trying to, uh, aren't going to consider trading up. I think that they're just trying to, I think right now they're trying to have information floated out there that just confuses teams about what they're going to do because, you know, it wasn't too long ago that Mike Kliss suggested that they're going to trade back. So I think they're just trying to kind of, uh, throw some smoke around themselves right now. So people are very curious about what they're going to do without really having any real information about what it might be. So I think that there's a very good chance that they are considering trading up, but I don't think this actual information uh, is sourced in a way that would actually know that. So that's kind of my cop out answer there. (laughs) Yeah. Boo. (laughs) It, it's it's not a cop out, and I honestly, I mean, this is part of why this is my least favorite time of year because there's a lot of gossip and there's not enough fact. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for someone who is so uh, factually oriented, must I be, love gossip. Must be a tough the, time. Yeah, the rumor and gossip part of this is it's not my cup of tea and it's actually something that gets less interesting to me with every passing year. It's like, because the same thing happens every year, the same type of chatter happens year after year. So I'm just, I'm asking as I'm asking as Millhouse Van Houten once said, when do we get to the fireworks factory? Let's get to the draft. And, And I guess where I land on this is even if I didn't see any of these reports, I would still think that the Broncos we're considering trading up now that I see these 
reports, rumors, whatever you want to call them, it's, it, it doesn't really change my, my opinion here um, because we know the Broncos have tons of ammo. We know that they want a top wide receiver or a top tackle. Uh, and if one of those guys is there, it's not, it's not going to be a surprise at all. So uh, I guess it doesn't really matter whether or not you believe these reports. I think we're all on the same page. Uh, now, what would it take? to to trade with Cleveland at 10 because we know jump into eight with the Cardinals is a second round pick what is it to get to Cleveland at 10 and would you do it realistically looking at uh at some similar trades over the last few years you are probably talking about um you're probably talking about a a, a multi-pick trade the what's interesting let's go back to 2018 and the Raiders traded down, the Cardinals wanted to move up and pick Josh Rosen. And the Cardinals were able to do that for the cost of the 79th and 152nd picks. Two-thirds. No, no, 152nd. Oh, oh so wow. That's, a, that, that's an early round five. Wow. So it's a third. So it's a third rounder of which the Broncos have three and a fifth rounder. So what you could – if you go by that deal as a template and what's interesting is this is the rare pick in which there wasn't a quarterback premium. I'm actually writing a little bit about how teams that move up and want quarterbacks tend to be willing to give up more than normal for first round trades. But so Broncos aren't seeking a quarterback, but let's just say that instead of the, instead of 79 and 152, which actually gave the Raiders a slight value advantage, Let's say the Broncos give up pick 77 and their fourth-round selection. And it would be a slight point advantage to uh, the Browns if they moved up to 10, but that'd be a fair price. Well, and that's what the draft value chart suggests. It is yep. exactly a third and fourth. You're giving up the premium because you're the team that wants to move up. And to me, no brainer. Are yep. you kidding me? A third and a fourth? You still got two-thirds? You don't have a fourth, whatever. That's fine. You still keep your second. Yep. Yep. Easy, easy, easy. So then you rewind and you say, for the sake of Drew Locke going four and one instead of three and two, would you trade <laughs> a fourth and a third? Wait, I, I don't know how to answer this. I'm confused. Because, I'll give you the answer. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> because the reason that the Broncos have to trade from 15 to 10 right, is because Shelby. Shelby Harris knocked down the pass. So the question is, do you trade a third and a fourth round pick for a win? <laughs> no. I and, yes. And don't Wait, forget, I'm you're not so just confused. you're not just losing the draft spots in round one. You're losing the draft spots in every other round, too. That's so I'm true. saying. No, I am not making that trade. That pass deflection was still a net negative for the Broncos. What Sorry. if the Broncos have a great season this year and, and all the players just keep pointing back to, man, you know, going four and one at the end of the season, that is what was the main key to this. Then I would be happy to point to a lot of data that we show otherwise. <laughs> i don't think you could that, that's a you can't point to data that suggests against psychology you won that game because of luck of luck you won that game realistically because over the course of a season while you may not get total balance between close losses and close wins you're going to have some ascension to the mean that that result statistically was an ascension to the mean result 
in part relative to the early season losses where you lost a couple of games that you probably should have won with a little better, a little better bounce to the ball, better call, whatever you want to put it on luck factors that are beyond your control. But I'm talking about to me that that result was a normalization. Yeah, but I'm just talking about the psychological impact of finishing four and one and what that does for your confidence and preparation going into the next season. I think the psychological benefit came from going down to Houston and beating Houston. That was definitely part of it. That I think that that's the one that when you look at the wins over the last over the last five games of last year, that's the game that was that was essential going on the road against a division champion and not just beating them, but spanking them, embarrassing them. That should, that game showed the ceiling. What the Raiders game showed was, okay, you didn't play all that well. Drew Lock and the offense weren't in sync throughout the entire game. They didn't win that game because of Drew Lock. Well, they won that I, game. They won that game because the Raiders squandered myriad opportunities. Yeah, no, I, I, and I'm not saying it has anything to do with Drew Lock. Well, it has something to do with Drew Lock, but it certainly wasn't all Drew Lock. He didn't even have that good of a game. It, uh, yeah, it wasn't even close to Drew Lock. Drew Lock was a passenger on the plane that day. But he was all, no, he was the pilot. But he was part of why they were why they were uh, playing well, which was part of the psychological and and. Uh, you know, the, the momentum and confidence that they had, which I think had played a role in them winning that game. And I think it'll play a role in them winning games this year that they finished that strong. Well, yeah. to me, here's where it would have mattered is if the Broncos signed Chris Jones in free agency or a top, top free agent. And he said, well, look, under Drew Locke, they went four and one. They were that winning team. And because Chris Jones, free agents aren't going back and watching the tape and saying, oh, you know what? It wasn't because of Drew Locke that – they won that Raiders game. It was that Shelby Harris deflection at the end. And Drew Locke was great in that game. Uh, okay in the other ones, no. They just would have said the four and one. Yeah, I don't know. In the end, I think that uh, it's a lot more nuanced than, than just they won the game. It was lucky, and it doesn't matter going forward. I think it does matter. Plus, uh, if they would have lost that game, I wouldn't have been able to say that Drew Locke has a better winning percentage than Tom Brady. <laughs> there you go but you still would have been able to say it the broncos had a winning record with drew lock which was far more than they had under brandon allen joe flacco case keenum trevor simeon well actually with trevor weren't they because they were um eight and six with trevor in in 2016 and then in 2017 they were what they were three um in the games he started they were like four and four he only started eight games that year. Let me think, because or he start he started against or he started the first uh, seven games, right? And yes. then he got benched for Brock Osweiler in Philadelphia. And then, and then he came back in and started against the actually it would be more than that because he came back in and started against the the Dolphins, the Jets and the Colts when he got hurt. So he was the Broncos were three and four in those first seven starts, but then they beat the Jets, beat the Colts. Of course, the Colts was Brock Osweiler, so that would have made them five and five in games Simeon started that year. So that's actually 13 and 11. Not bad, not bad, Trev. Yeah. <laughs> um, he's better than you think. Not. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely the 
pre Drew post Peyton Manning pre Drew Lock. He's the best they had. Yes. Yeah, love Trevor. Never gonna say anything bad. Uh, okay. Zach, can we get you your Trevor Simeon uh, jersey yet? Uh, yeah, that's a classic, right? You could probably get like a game used Trevor Simeon jersey for a couple hundred bucks. Actually, there's probably some floating around on eBay right now. Uh, at, at a nice. Wait, uh, let's don't don't you know. don't say the don't say the price. Let's play play prices right on it. Okay. So wait, what are we what are we playing this on? Well, we got to make sure it exists. A Trevor Simeon jersey on eBay. Ooh, there's a there's a bunch. Do you want the uh, Do you want um, the lowest price? Uh, sure. Is it okay. kid size? Uh, no, we're not. This is going to be for an adult. It's for adult size and it's, uh, it's game and, used. Oh, game. Oh, you want the game used one? Oh yeah. Um. Oh well, the the game. There is actually a game worn one. Ooh, it's quite expensive. No, you can't Ooh. get hints like that. Um, I'm gonna go a thousand one hundred. Uh, I am going to say nine hundred dollars. Oh, coming pretty close to me. The Trevor Simeon game worn Broncos jersey from their 2017 home win over Oakland. $3,999.99 at the buy it now price. Oh, is, I love it. See, you can't, you can't disrespect Trev like that. That's disgusting. <laughs> yeah. You know what else is disgusting? This thing hasn't been washed because, so there are stains all over the place. Well, yeah. I mean, you don't want a yeah. washed game used jersey. You need <laughs> all right. Shout out to Breckenridge Brewery. We love them. They love us. Uh, when you get the 15-can sampler, this is a little-known fact that's starting to circulate. The 15-can sampler now includes Strawberry Sky. So if they didn't have Strawberry Sky in your area before, but they had the sampler packs, well, go check it out now, and you might be able to get Strawberry Sky. And it also comes with Hot Peak, so you can make the RK Special, which is the drink sweeping the nation right now. Half Hot Peak, half Strawberry Sky. Try it and never turn back. It'll be the uh, most refreshing IPA you've ever had in your life. So check out Breck. And if you're hungry and you live in this area, in the Denver area, well, hit them up at the farmhouse. Call 303-803-1380. Set up your order. You can order some beers. You can order some food. I personally recommend the Sweet Heat Wings. Nice, big, juicy wings with some delicious sauce on there. Uh, they, their fries that they have there are actually fantastic. Brussels sprouts, whatever you get from the farmhouse, it's going to be great. So call them at 303-803-1380 to set up your order today. And speaking and of use check- the code DNVR for $5 off if you, if you go online for your order. And speaking of checking things out, if you haven't seen your family jewels in a while, we'll have the perfect thing to help you with that. That is Manscaped, specifically the Lawnmower 3.0. And if it's furry down there, guys, this quiet stroke Lawnmower 3.0 will help you because it's got the LED light to help navigate that everything going on down there. And guys, check out the perfect package while you're at it. 
Perfect Package comes with so many things, including the Crop Preserver, which is a deodorant, a Crop Reviver, which is a toner and refresher. And the Perfect Package also comes with a travel bag, disposable shaving mats. It's got everything you could want, including the most comfortable boxers ever. So check out Manscaped and use that code DNVR20 when you purchase for 20% off and free shipping. So keep the family jewels happy, keep the family happy, and you're also supporting us in that process. So use that code DNVR20 to make everyone happy. All right. Let's move on here to the questions from the listeners. Got quite a few today. And this first one comes in from Swansea Bronco. Says, hey, guys, I can't help but pick Antonio Gibson at the start of the third round in all of my mock drafts. What do you guys think of bringing him to Denver? Third round could see us get some fantastic value if we keep all three picks with Biotish and Hall uh, being available on the majority of mock drafts. Who else do you think could come into play in the third round? Also, one random question. When the bar reopens, will there ever be a space for donated shirts of teams from fans' hometowns when they attended in person? Would love to leave one of my rugby or football teams uh, to be uh, – put on display that's a good that's idea a fantastic idea i love that yeah there's not there's not that much wall space but we can maybe come up with something um i mean i'm with you whenever i'm doing those silly mock drafts uh i antonio gibson is always almost there in the third or fourth round and it's hard to pass him up um who, you're getting speed get, and versatility who's getting drafted in these drafts because i feel like all the good players fall are these mock drafts just bad players or do players just not get picked it's weird i don't know (laughs) like there's jerry every single time i've done this and i'm being dead serious i've i've probably done it 10 15 times just when i'm bored and every single time jerry judy has been available for me at 15 so how many times has he been available in our three mock drafts zero zero none (laughs) maybe we're too high on him i don't know so they've got like like and I was thinking about this. This could you could write a whole article about this. Is the Broncos the Broncos' best friends as we enter the draft process? And these are guys like C.J. Henderson. He is the Broncos' best friend. Um, uh, I did what, see a CBS Sports mock draft mocking Henderson to the Broncos though last night. Silly. Um, you got <laughs> Chase on from uh, LSU. He's one of the Broncos' best friends. If someone reaches for an mm-hmm. edge guy. Um, who else are some of these guys? Uh, DeAndre Swift, you know, if some team, like, I think the Bucks would probably be the one who might say, like, we got to get Tom, his little, you know, gadget back out of the backfield. It's possible. So there, there, there's a list of these guys who are the Broncos best friends. And whenever you do these mock drafts, a couple of them always go. So I, I mean, I hope they're right. But every single time I've done it, uh, Judy's there. And the only time I've been tempted to not take him is three different times Judy has been there, and so has Tua. And I'm just like, man, I just – I don't know if I can pass up the opportunity here to just stash Tua. Oh, man, that that's a dream scenario to have both of those guys right there. Um, and, yeah, they're, they're best friends because you really want those guys to succeed. You want them to do well. You want them to go in the top of the draft. But no, you don't want to marry him. You don't want to marry him. Oh no! Oh no! You, you, they're they're best friends. You have friend zoned. Yeah. Uh, all of these guys. <laughs> yeah. And you know what? I mean, you could throw. Oh, Jordan Love. 
He's best mm-hmm. friend yep. material. Uh, Josh Jones, best friend material. Yep. So there's a lot of guys that, you know, someone can reach on. People talked about um, the Raiders potentially going corner at 12. Like if that happens, you're doing backflips uh, if you're the Broncos. So every time in these Unless it's Jeff Okuda falling. Well, <laughs> seems unlikely. But he's not going to be there at 12. Yeah. So that's what you got to cross your fingers for. You have to hope at least one team does something dumb. Usually there's two or three that do something dumb in the top 15, or at least something that is perceived to be dumb before, uh, before everything shakes out. So that's what you're hoping for. And certainly in, on the dream network, they always have the best friends in the highest regard. <laughs> exactly. Next one coming in from Run T13. Hey, DNVR fam. Huge Broncos fan from LA and have been listening to your pod for years now. Not a fan of any other Colorado-based team, so was putting off the annual membership. Truth be told, I finally caved, and it is so worth it, even if it's just for one team. Mace, I was so pumped when you joined DNVR, as I absolutely loved you with the Broncos. You are one of the best in the game. I go to Denver at least once a year to catch a Broncos game, so hope to meet you guys out there at the DNVR bar. Stay safe. Appreciate all you do. P.S. I'd be surprised if Lamb, Judy, or Ruggs is there at 15, mainly due to Raiders, Niners, and Jets needing wide receivers. But fingers crossed. You know, it's funny. We always – I'm. I, I, there was a time where I was with you on this. We are so focused on wide receivers that we're psyching ourselves out a little bit in these – we're not – we're not thinking about the fact that the Raiders nine, maybe not in the Niners as much, but the Raiders and Jets have a myriad of holes on their roster. So yes, this is a great wide receiver draft, but it only takes one of these teams to say, yeah, we need wide receivers, but we can get them later in this draft. Maybe it's the Raiders saying what we really need right now is a corner. They go and take CJ Henderson. And, you know, like I said, the Broncos are doing backflips, but I, there's part of me that believes they're not going to be there. There's another part of me that just thinks so, every team is different. Every team has needs. And based on the philosophy of these GMs, they might be the ones saying, yes, we need wide receiver, but we know we can get a starting caliber wide receiver in the second round. To flip that, though, what if the Cardinals or a team that we're not necessarily mocking a wide receiver to says, oh, man, this guy's too good to pass up the Browns at 10 potentially too. Uh, and, and they go that way. So it, it, the draft could fall where two receivers are available or the draft could fall where heck Denzel Mims is the Broncos choice of 15. Yeah. You know, you look like the Cardinals of all places, you could certainly imagine them saying, Oh my God, what if we could, we could pair Kyler Murray, Deandre Hopkins and CD lamb together, you know, are like you kidding me, like, if anyone's going to do it, it's going to be the, the coach with the air raid offense who just wants to outscore everyone. Yep. Oh, I mean, that receiving core would be insane. You add in Christian Kirk, who is a very legit wide receiver. You uh, Even like a Demir Bird, who's a burner. You add uh, our guy from, uh, oh, I cannot think Andy of Andy Isabella. Name. Yes, Andy Isabella to go along with Larry Fitzgerald. That would be wild. Andy Isabella is a 96 speed in Madden. Ooh, impressive. He burns. Um, yeah, so it could go either way. The Eagles apparently are aggressively trying to trade up. Uh, there's a report out there that um, C.D. Lamb is the apple of their eye. So <laughs> you never know. This, that's what's exciting about this. Uh, Mace, you got this. Oh, you're muted. 
muted. Mace is muted. Uh oh. Gosh dang it. There he is. There he is. <laughs> there you <He's> are. <laughs> Muting myself without even hitting the, the button. Count Locula, with an abundance of idle time these days, spent mostly away from the fruitful tilling of our fields or the joyous tolling of, a lot of, of our laudatory bells. Furtive words about our draft selection seem to have become cheap and ubiquitous. The pundits pontificate on the punctuations of our beloved draft as if they were our progenitors, as though they were actual members of our clan. Many people hearing this palaver begin to become perturbed, fidgety, irresolute even. I take pleasure myself in this conjecture about our future team, but I warn ye all against drinking the flavor aid of the National Ninnies. Stick to Simone and Chisholm, which sounds like an old West gang, I know. As Gertrude Stein once said, everybody gets so much information all day long that they lose their common sense. Go us! Love the count. Oh, that's that's an all-timer from the count right <laughs> Yeah, it is. All I can say I think, is, what? I think that that was a very mellifluous way of saying kind of what I said earlier in this podcast about hating the this time of year because it's nothing but gossip, nothing but conjecture, and it lacks fact, factual yes. basis, I should say. Yes, I might say it's, let's per, just, it, it's yeah, perfluous. Let's the... <laughs> Although I do love the, the other thing I love about the count is that he mentioned flavor aid because you know the phrase drinking the kool-aid well that's mm-hmm. actually incorrect because when there were when jim jones and his and his cult committed mass suicide at jonestown in guiana in 1978 they did not drink kool-aid they drank flavor aid do you think that kool-aid is of the belief that all press is good press or do they not like that phrase Ooh. I think at this point now, because a lot of people don't know the origins of it, it's probably all press is good press. I think so, too. I, yeah, I think so. It's brand recognition think, right there. Yeah, yeah but I think when, you know, it's one of those things where it's a, that Jonestown massacre, it's a, it's a historical event that becomes less relevant to, to people who recall it with every passing year. But there was probably a time where they didn't want the negative pub. And now because it's just an expression that has become part of the common vernacular, they're like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Sir James radio says Jersey's challenge day six. Today we are on the Seattle Seahawks. It has to be Russ, right? He says, not for me. Oh, who is it for you? Well, Russ lost me when he did that stupid video from his bed yeah, when he that signed was brutal. when he signed his contract. What up, Seattle? Ugh, it, it, it literally made me my bones want to leave my skin. Um, <laughs> so, with that being said, I am probably going with DK Metcalf. Um, the, the cop-out would have been Tedrick Thompson because he's a buff, but they cut him. Um, maybe Tyler Lockett. See, I still have to go with Russ because he's from the place I was born, Richmond, Virginia, and he had his best college season at my wife's school, Wisconsin, and he spent most of his college time at a school that my dad went to that was North Carolina State. A good so I'm, yeah it's an easy pick for me there it's number three and i'm gonna go with uh the most blinged up of them all and that's bobby wagner 
just mm. uh, the stud in the middle of the defense. And uh, for some people that commented on that, the rule is it's got to be a current member. But yeah, Beast Mode one, uh, as McCaffrey and Attic said, would be awesome. Yeah, Beast Mode would be the most fun one to have. But yeah, current yep. players only. Next one from Breck Drew. Just a quick story. Was at a Broncos-Jazz game a few years ago. Front row end zone. Caught a kickoff that went through the uprights and into the stands. It almost hit my wife. I had a forearm and bicep bruise for two weeks, LOL. Anyways, guy on the field kept yelling for me to throw the ball back, but I wanted to keep it and tried to turn and run. These stadium employees were already headed down the stairs. So sad. I think about having that ball on my desk way too often. It is honestly absolute and utter garbage to me that a multi-billion dollar industry that only exists because of the fans will not let the fans keep a $30 football when it lands in the stands or only let them keep it if there's an injury involved now this was years ago but a friend of mine in high school was sitting in the end zone stands at old tampa stadium tells you how long ago this was and the, uh, the bear, I believe it was the Bears kickers were practicing prior to the start of the second half, and one kick flew into the stands, and the ball came down, and my friend caught it, but somebody landed on him uh, in trying to get the ball from him, and actually, my friend uh, was concussed and had to go to the hospital, so they let him wow. keep the ball. Wow, that that's I guess it's good he got to keep the ball. Hope your friends are yeah, okay. Yeah, that's and- the least they could do at that point, right? But that's but that's the only situation I've heard of, or that I know of personally, where somebody got to keep the ball that went into the stands like that. My feeling is if you can't keep the ball in play, you can't do your job by putting the nets wider if that needs to be. When the ball goes in the stands, it's gone. I just what like just let the fans keep the ball. It's a souvenir. I guarantee – think about if baseball made the fans throw all the ball back. Like, one of the best parts of going to a baseball game is is the the nine innings of thinking, at any moment, I could have my chance to catch a ball here. It's not as likely in a football game, which should tell you even more that the NFL should do it. And McCaffrey and Attic said it's a $70 cost online, but there's no way that's what it costs the NFL who's getting these masks sent to them. I just think it's, I just think it's a joke that these fans who paid damn good money to sit in those seats don't have the chance to take a ball home. I mean, what, what's the most that could happen? Five times in a game, and that's even saying like, that's, that would be a crazy game with tons of balls going into the stands. That's $150, based on my estimation, that the, that, the, uh, that the NFL lost on a game where they brought in millions upon millions. Well, the late Arena Football League, that was part of their marketing plan that if the ball went in the stands, the fans got to keep it. And well, there's the sport where you, it's tightly compressed. The fan, you know, there's really no gap between the field and where the stands start. And so you could have a dozen footballs going into the stands every game. And for a smaller league like that, you know, losing, losing to say 10 to 12 footballs a game, uh, that could be pretty detrimental to your bottom line. But they found a way to afford it. The NFL can surely find a way to afford it. It's one of the, it's one of the dumber, more short-sighted policies that the NFL has. I think is demanding that the football be thrown back. I mean, if you think about it, if the NFL lost, we'll say ten balls in one game, that 
was paid for by one person's ticket in the in the first level. What happens if you catch a ball and you stab it with your knife that you have to cut your hot dog and then it's deflated? You can't throw it back. Is that the go-to now? Wait, are you saying that those butter, those plastic butter knives that they give you at the stands are going to be sharp enough? Because you're not going to be able to sneak a knife, a knife that can slice open a football into a stadium. It's not no, I, I'm not. I'm not detector. saying anyone should sneak in a knife. I'm, but yeah, just a, you just quickly saw it with the butter knife. <laughs> you could probably, you could easily sneak in a tack. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. Puncture oh, that's kind it. of it's a slow it's a slow leak you know what you you know what you do is you sneak in the tack on your finger when tom brady and the bucks are coming and mm. then <laughs> you can launch deflate gate 2.0 well you just bring a needle like a, a the needle that goes into a pump and then you just put it into the hole and let a little bit of air out but you wouldn't want to do that for tom you would want to oh mace this is your trick to have the bucks win no 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 no. my trick is that this because this work against the bucks that what would happen is you put the you put the needle in you or the tech a little bit of air comes out and then the referee gets the football and says wait a minute there's something (laughs) wrong with this let's put this away and you have you've launched deflate gate 2.0 and then everyone says well tom brady must be doing it here it is right. this is irrefutable proof that it actually happened in new england because now it's happening again in tampa bay it's all tom brady he's a cheater and then you sully his name and you're talking about somebody else being considered the greatest quarterback of all time wow. i mean you could really take this down down a path that changes all of football that was all a pretty pretty amazing path we just went down tom mercury says what is your favorite quote or passage why is it meaningful to you mine is everybody is the hero of their own story because it is a reminder that everyone is on their own journey in life but it also encourages me to live and act like a hero as a dad husband brother son at work etc there are many angles and applications to such a simple and powerful statement well i'm not sure where my dad got it from but he used to say this and it's something I follow. And he said, he said, the idiot quotient is the same wherever you go, whether no matter where you work, no matter where you go to school, no matter what environment you in, you're in, the percentage of people that are just idiots is going to be about the same. Regardless of <laughs> IQ, SAT scores, whatever, because real intelligence isn't, the, isn't determined by what your academic qualifications are per se. Yeah. Did you know that if an NFL player throws the ball into the stands, one, the fan does get to keep it? Do you know how much it costs the player? It's thousands of dollars, is it not? Because they get fined, right? $6,683 on the first offense. (laughs) Oh, wow. And it goes up for a second offense? Oh, yeah. Doubles it. Oh, my How did they come to $6,683 as the number? Well, because they wanted $6,600 a profit. So apparently, based on this very unreliable source that I'm reading on this, (laughs) um, there was a time back, and this wasn't even a Broncos-centric thing that I searched, but apparently back in the day, John Elway threw uh, the ball to a kid in a wheelchair in the stands, and he was was fined $1,000 by the NFL in 1985. (laughs) 
And he said, I don't care. The look on that kid's face was worth it. <laughs> John. Oh, that's pathetic, though, of the NFL. Super pathetic. I, I think I might go on an online rant about this today. <laughs> <laughs> Next one here comes in from Pismo Beach Broncos 07. I'm sure this will be addressed by the time this comment is read, but uh, they are saying DT really wants to come back. Do you like that? I think he could contribute and still go wide receiver with the first pick and also swing for another late round guy as well. With an offense almost devoid of veteran leadership could be a nice addition, even if he only has 50 grabs or so. Whoa, 50 50 grabs grabs would be be great. (laughs) Yeah, that would be huge. Sign me up if DT's getting 50. Yeah, absolutely. Um, We talked about it. I, I think, you know, I think there's a lot of pros, and there are a few cons for sure. Yeah, next one from uh, Pismo Bronco Beach as well. He says, just listen to the pod. Mace, you named 10 total receivers and didn't mention Michael Pittman Jr. I can promise there are not 10 receivers better than him. Just wondering, isn't Ruggs the combine guy who has the most risk? Very little production for lack, uh, for lack of size and production. What makes him so much more appealing than a guy who just dominated for years? He isn't slow either. I'm not a USC fan, by the way. Plus, you love Mims, but he's got butterfingers, and Pittman is the exact opposite. See, I think I'll disagree with uh, the assessment of Pittman as far as his speed. Yep. He's, he's of average speed, but he just doesn't get enough separation, and that's something that I think is going to be a concern because unless he can win – can win every fight for a ball he's going to lose some he's going to lose some passes targeted to him because he's just not getting away from the corners and sometimes safety that he's going to be going against and that's why to me he's down a few tiers and somebody to me that you're talking about in round three or round four let me put it this way Noah Fant taller heavier and faster Faster. than Michael Pittman Jr. Wow, that, that's something else. And uh, to your point about Henry Ruggs, uh, to me, he wasn't a combine guy. I knew he was going to run, you know, worst case, a 4-3-1. He got it in the two sevens. That didn't change or that didn't change anything for me about Henry Ruggs. And if it did for some people, then I would caution what, what they were thinking about him before. But he's not just fast. He's not just a John Ross type of guy. Uh, he can run routes. And so I think he's more than just pure speed. But obviously, that's the most exciting thing about him. And if you want to talk about production, you just have to look at the guys around him. I mean, he was surrounded by three other future or this year first-round picks. I mean, you know, Jalen Waddell is going to be a first-round pick. Uh, Obviously, Jerry Judy is going to be a first-round pick. And I think Devontae Smith even has a chance to be a first-round pick. So there's just not there weren't enough balls to go around. I agree. I totally agree. Uh, real quick, I am, I'm going back to where I was a few months ago, where as I'm putting together my wide receiver rankings, I was, I was ranking, I was just looking at the top eight or so wide receivers last night. And I just, I simply could not bring myself to put some of these guys ahead of LaVisca Chenault. I just couldn't do it. <laughs> like, I look at a at a guy, even like Denzel Mims, and I'm just like, I can't put this guy in front of LaVisca. I realize the concerns there that are there with LaVisca, so I totally understand why a team wouldn't want him. But when I'm doing my personal rankings, I just can't bring myself to put some of these guys. Like, I've got LaVisca uh, as maybe my fourth or fifth receiver on the board still. Okay. Yep. 
Now, where would you have LaVisca ranked if he were healthy? Um, he's fighting for a spot in the top three, but probably just solidly number four. Okay. I don't know. Wow. I'm, I'm, sorry, I don't know. Yeah, I'm surprised I, I you wouldn't I have thought, him higher. I thought you'd tell me honestly that he was your receiver, wide receiver one or wide receiver two. Yeah, I me can't too. put him one. I can't put him one uh, because Jerry Judy, just the way that he runs routes is, is just absurd to me. Um, I don't know. I mean, I, I could, pro- it would just depend on how he played. Like I can't know what I would do if he was healthy because I don't know what he would have done this season. If he would have went out there and dominated the PAC 12 and, you know, led the buffs to a bowl game and all that stuff. Well, then there maybe would have been more of a conversation. I think I probably could have, I think I, if he was healthy, he probably would have ended up ahead of one of rugs or lamb. So, but in the end, instead of it being a top three, it would have been a top four. Yes, that's, that's exactly right. You know, you would have been talking about the big four receivers. Right. Um, And I agree with that. But like, when I just look at this list, I'm just like, the ceiling for LaVisca Chenault is so much higher than it is for a Justin Jefferson or a Denzel Mims for me. So when I, 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 when I do, when I'm doing my rankings, I can't help myself, but to put LaVisca fourth. Mm, Yeah. I mean, the potential is certainly there. Locked in says from 2015 to 2017, most of the first round receivers ended up being a bust. In my opinion, only Amari Cooper and Devontae Parker out of the 13 receivers were worth the first round pick. Why do you think they ended up being bust? And do you think any of the top three wide receivers could end up being a bust? Anyone can be a bust. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. There's, there are different reasons. I mean, some of them, do you remember, the 2017 draft, I believe it was. That was the Corey Davis, Mike Williams, John Ross first round receiver class. Mm-hmm. Ross had speed, but nothing else. Uh, unlike Henry Ruggs, who has speed, but also route running ability. Uh, Mike, Mike Williams, uh, that's one where I, I was wrong. I thought he was an absolute stud pick for the Chargers. I thought that he was going to be tremendous for them. Corey Davis, remember the Titans picked him. He was the first receiver off the board in 2017. He was overdrafted there. Mm-hmm. Yep. And now he's basically their wide receiver too. Yeah. I, I There's a lot of reasons why these guys bust out. The biggest one to me is that they aren't able to be technical enough in their route running to separate from NFL defensive backs. That's the number one reason why guys bust in the NFL to me. And that's why I have Judy as my, as my solid wide receiver one. It's just because the better a route runner you are, to me, the less chance you have of being a bust. And yeah, Jerry, Judy, yeah, Jerry Judy kind of follows in the footsteps of Amari Cooper and Julio Jones as well. Maybe not an exact replica in terms of skill set, but – the background that he has, uh, the ability, the, the all-around ability as a receiver, the fact that, that he can run good routes, but he's coming out of a program that played at a high level. Both Julio and Judy, they were ready, or and then Cooper, pardon me, they were ready to go right away. And I think Judy, I, I'd expect Judy is going to be the best of this crop as a rookie. The question is, who's the best in three years? Anyone can bust. Jerry Judy's bust factor is so incredibly low. Uh, you know, it, it, I don't think his ceiling is Amari Cooper. I think his ceiling is much better than that. Uh, but I think kind of that's kind of an average bust for him is, is Amari Cooper. And the other thing is quarterback can help 
receivers along, if you go through those three drafts and not just first rounders and say, okay, 2015 to 2017, who are the receivers drafted that have already made a Pro Bowl? You have Amari Cooper, and he kind of speaks for himself, but then Tyler Lockett, Russell Wilson was his quarterback. Michael Thomas, New Orleans, 2016, Drew Brees. Tyree Kill, Kansas City, he's played very well, got a lot of speed, but he also had Alex Smith and then Patrick Mahomes. And then the 2017 Pro Bowlers, you have Juju Smith-Schuster, Roethlisberger was throwing in passes, Chris Godwin and uh, Kenny Galladay. I mean, really kind of the, the exceptions to the rule are the guys that are making it without having those high-level quarterbacks throwing them the football. Totally. From Vash the man, yo, 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 a few things, then I'm out. People. Zach, you got this? Open your eyes! <laughs> Toilet paper ain't going nowhere. Please stop buying so much in excess that it takes me over four hours every time we get a truck in because our shelves are empty to fill back up. Sorry for the vent. Just wanted to get that off my chest. Moving on. Real quick, are people still doing this? I, this, this, yeah. They're all gone at grocery stores still. Still? Yeah. yeah, still, it's it's all paper products too because <laughs> we had a, an issue finding paper towels the last yeah. couple of weeks. Ultimately, um, we were able to get a ten pack uh, right after it had been unloaded at a Safeway. But so yeah. here's uh, what I'll tell you guys: I have not added any toilet paper to the collection since quarantine started i did not have a surplus i would say at the time just an average amount and i'm not even close to running out of toilet paper yet so everyone needs to calm calm down when it comes to that with that said we were we had one roll of uh paper towels left when this all started haven't been able to get any but we were able to circumvent the process because my girlfriend's mom was able to get some uh (laughs) And she just shipped it to us. So we, <laughs> we got three rolls in the mail. And we're all, we've only gone through one so far. <laughs> About that. <laughs> uh, okay, he goes on. Uh, Zach, can't wait to hear your voice doing an audio book. Got to let us know if you do. I will. I'll let you know. Some AS, AMSR. <laughs> audio book. <laughs> uh, as always, great A work. Keep the podcast coming. Some good shows to binge while being stuck at home. One, Tiger King, obviously. Would not recommend, to be honest. Uh, Two, don't F with cats. I've heard that's an interesting one. I may have to watch it. Uh, It's kind of dark, I Mm, think. Maybe not. Basically, someone was effing with cats, and this guy wasn't having it. Why would people watch? I'm sorry. Oh, man. What? Oh, I thought you meant literally effing with cats. And I'm like, my God, why would oh. anyone watch that? No, oh, no, gosh. no. Disgusting. Jeez. Oh. <laughs> they were just doing bad things. So then okay. this guy like, all right. out oh. to stop them. Oh, yeah, I don't know if I all could right. watch that. I got it. I took That'd it too literally. Too and I'm like, why would anyone want to watch this? No. Uh, three, Third Rock from the Sun, if you have Amazon. I remember that being a show on network television back in the oh, day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Never seen it. Four, Lock and Key. Five, the last, oh, last one time, the Khalif Browder story. 
love the community and love you guys. Peace, love, and chicken and grease and chicken grease. I'm out. <laughs> love hearing from you, Bash the man. World is suck, Jamin and Mace. I agree with you that major sports leagues will have a PR battle to navigate if they begin testing their players regularly, while testing is still tough to come by in the general public. Won't Here's- happen. Here's the idea I've had for a couple of weeks now. The league should partner with a company that manufactures the tests and give funding to increase test manufacturing. The NFL would likely need to test all game day personnel every week before games are played. I'd say that's roughly 250 people per game, players, refs, broadcast, broadcast crew, etc. Across the league, that's 4,000 tests per week. If the NFL were to fund the production of 20,000 tests per week, use 4,000 of them and donate the other 16,000, I think they could make a big positive statement from a PR perspective. I don't know if it's feasible, but it would be cool to see. And on DT wanting to come back to Denver, sign me up. I would absolutely love to see it. So Ryan, you said, what's not going to happen? No chance that the leagues start mass testing the players unless mass testing is available for everyone. They are very, very aware of what the, the backlash would be if they start siphoning off tests from the public just to test their players. There's no way that happens. And that's why the dates that are starting to kind of float around in conjecture in regards to sports that could be starting over the summer, the dates being tossed around are getting into late June, early July. Didn't uh, didn't the Jazz get a lot of backlash uh, when they their did. players got tested immediately? Yeah, because at one point something like – Weren't there like 30 tests in the state of Oklahoma and most of them had gone to the Utah Jazz at one point? Yeah, or something, yeah and they were absurd testing, like that. They tested everyone in the building or all the personnel in the building, even though even the ones that hadn't, well, almost all of them had no symptoms. And two, one, one additional person beyond Rudy Gobert had it. So that was a massive waste of tests. Um, so, yeah, I don't think there's any chance these leagues start saying, like, oh, uh, we need uh, 4,000 tests from the national supply. Forget about all of the other people that need it and their, you know, their lives are at stake. The other thing is I'd say in terms of game day personnel, 250, that's probably on the extremely low end. I'd say you're probably looking at about 400 to 450 people needing to be tested when you start adding in all all the ancillary personnel it takes to pull off an NFL game the the one of the things that does work against football in this new reality potentially is the fact that it does take a lot of people to pull off even a bare bones NFL production football would be a hard one to do if they're still trying to do the like put everyone in a singular location um Mm -hmm. just because you know, the wear and tear on the fields and that sort of stuff. But you got high schools and I, right. I'm fairly certain they'll figure out a way. But you're right in the sense that there's a lot more that goes into it um, because there's only one game a week. You know, it's one of the reasons why there's only one game a week is there's a lot, of that, a lot of production that goes into it. But it also creates a situation where there's a lot more time to, you know, um, plan for this stuff. And I think by the, when the time comes – they'll have a plan. Right. And I think one thing that will help football is that they can hopefully fingers crossed, sit back and see how, how the NBA, how major league baseball, how major league soccer handles. And actually major league soccer is an interesting one because Don Garver, the commissioner of MLS 
used to work in the NFL. It's sort of like Gary Bettman, commissioner of the NHL, used to work with the NBA, and the NHL kind of follows the NBA in a lot of things. And I, and there was something that Garber mentioned yesterday that I found fascinating. He talked about when MLS does come back, and they they currently have their target date pushed back from May 10th to June 8th, and could go back further. But he's talking about branding MLS games without fans as something called MLS Studio and playing up and taking advantage of what you can do in terms of presenting a game that doesn't have a crowd. Can you, you know, have a little more sound on the field, pick up more of what the players are doing? I think there's a lot of possibilities there for the NFL if indeed they do have to play without fans to turn it into something branding-wise that may move the needle a little bit. Yeah, I think that's the key for the NFL is they get to see all these other leagues do their tests and, and see how it works and, and gather the best of all of them. And they have the most time. Totally. Uh, all day. Unless you, do you have something more? Or? Oh yeah. I just wanted to say, make sure you check out mile high green cross supporting them is supporting us. And you know, it might be just what you need during this time of quarantine to have yourself a good time or maybe just, you know, chill out a little bit Uh, sign up for their loyalty program and receive 20 percent off your entire purchase when you do when you hit up mile high green cross tag them tag us let them know that you're supporting them because they're part of the dnvr family just like you they're quick they're easy they'll get you in and out in under 10 minutes so check out mile high green cross today all right now you can go mace all right, let's move on to Boucher all day. Haven't heard anything on Gandy Golden in a while. The last type I heard was him potentially being picked in the second round. Now third, fourth, or even fifth round seems very likely. Is he someone you'd be happy obtaining as a second receiver? The Broncos pick in the draft. As always, love you, fam. Absolutely, I'd love, I'd love Gandy Golden. If he's there round four, the Broncos have taken care of everything, uh, everything else. And looking for a second receiver, even though his skill set does comp with Cortland Sutton, but that's okay. Yeah, if he's your second receiver that you take, you're happy with that for sure. Yeah, I'd love him. From Iceman, hey, friends, it's a strawberry sky night. So I'm having flashbacks of last offseason when I first learned what a podcast even was. Finding BSN, (laughs) I drank all of the orange Kool-Aid you kids were selling via the Dove Valley two-step. You paired it. (laughs) How how the 2019 was going to be so much better uh, with Joe instead of Case. I was ready for a return to the glory days until the 0-4 start. Uh, it was just will for Adam rank to be correct at two and 14. All this draft chatter seems like the same old glass half full positive spin akin to the hope and change days. I believe Andrew Locke, the glory days will indeed return soon. Go America. Go America. Go Iceman. It seemed like that comment was going South and then he picked it up at the end by believing in Andrew Locke. Yeah. And I'll say this, you know, we were hopeful about, we were very hopeful about what Joe Flacco could bring until we really saw him on the field. And then we really started tempering expectations or at best we were trying to convince our, we were trying to find the positives and it was very obvious that we were having to dig for those. McCaffrey addict checking in says if Tua rugs Judy and the rest of the bunch are so great, why was this Alabama team the worst record wise that they've had since 2014? I know that's still a great record, but if the team is stacked, wouldn't it be also very hard to evaluate any individual player, especially when they're beating the Western Carolina Catmount, Cat, Cat, 
Catamounts 66 to three in late November. One last thing. I was laughing out loud. Well, let's answer that question first because it's very, very easy one to answer. It's because Tua got hurt. End of story. They would have been. Tua got hurt. uh, And also, you got to mention their defense as well. It was not a vintage Alabama defense. Gave up 30 plus three times. Yeah, but if Tua doesn't get hurt, they're still probably winning the national championship. Yeah, they're in, my they're in the right. college football playoffs, and I agree with you. Exactly, right? but it, it reduced their margin for error when they're they're giving up 48 to Auburn and 46 to LSU and 31 in Mississippi. Yeah, I only needed to take one look at Mac Jones or whatever the hell his name is <laughs> to know that they weren't going to be competing for a national championship anymore. Yeah, unfortunately. He says, one last thing. I was laughing out loud when Ryan was trying to critique Lamb's playoff performance. If you take away the 50-plus yard play, why would you do that? He made an explosive play. And if you take it away, he still averaged 20 yards per catch. He had over 100 receiving yards in a game where they ran into a buzzsaw in LSU that clearly no one was stopping this year. My point essentially was just after that big play, which you do have to count and it is important. um, He just didn't leave his stamp on the game. You know, I just wanted to see him help keep Oklahoma in the game and I just I felt like that was the matchup that they had in their favor it was going to be C.D. Lamb against whoever LSU wanted to throw at him and I just didn't feel like he left his impact on that game and was able to you know go away saying well we just you know we you know, we we I did everything I could but that offense from the other side was just too powerful I just felt like he was having a hard time leaving his mark on that game. And, and part of that is because LSU knew that that was going to be their toughest matchup. So they focused a lot of energy on him. He did have the 50-yard play. I'm just saying, you know, from a evaluation of perspective, which I was trying to watch that game through that lens, was just he did not have me thinking at the end of the game, like that guy was one of the best players on the field despite the fact that Oklahoma got waxed. That's yeah. Fair. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I think that's fair. When I watched that game, um, obviously his stats were good. I just didn't feel like he was um, the dominant receiver in college football. There's an interesting exercise as well. And I mean, I don't think you do it in terms of gameplay, but it is interesting. Uh, if you're going to drop, you take away the 50 yard play, you know, in a, say a four game span for a receiver, you drop the high, you drop the low. Or like if you're taking quarterbacks, for example, I got in this discussion yesterday uh, on the radio and we were looking at Drew Locke and his five-game sample size. And I said, okay, let's drop the high, drop the low. Let's drop the Houston game and drop the Kansas City game. And what do you end up with? And in terms of yardage per per attempt, not very good. In terms of yardage per game, not very good. But he was efficient, accurate, end up with a 92.1 rating, four touchdowns, one interception. He wasn't making a lot of mistakes. Yeah, we also have to remember that, especially the first game of the Drew Log era, I mean, they would not let him do anything. I mean, they absolutely shackled him. I'll ne- I, just, I, I just I look back at that, and we all know that there was uh, internal unhappiness uh, regarding the play calling after the first quarter. You want to find out about the kid, you let him keep gunning it, man. You, you let, keep letting him air it out. It's like they were they were playing with so much to lose when they had nothing to lose. Yeah, um, you're three and eight. Yeah, what do you have to lose? You're three and eight. Come but on. I, 
but I think he makes a fair point that maybe I was a little yeah. too hard on uh, on C.D. Lamb and that performance. I think, you know, and he mentioned that he averaged 20 yards per catch beyond that catch. I think that was the thing is, like, I just – I wanted to see him work. I wanted to see him, you know, grind out first downs and help the team move the chains. And it felt like, you know, they were obviously desperate, so they were looking for the bigger plays. But I just didn't feel like he was making an impact on a play-in, play-out basis. It was just a flash here and there. All right. You want to lightning round some of these uh, things, guys? Because we got a, I think we got a little bit of a crunch here. So let's yeah. do it. From TK3s. Okay, T- what up, DNVR? Quick questions for you. One, if both are available, who are you taking, Matt Pert or Ben Barch? It's Barch for me. Yep, me as well. Barch, but it'd be fascinating because the Broncos haven't really taken small school guys under Elway. Yeah. Uh, I said, I'm not sure why, but I've fallen in love with Barch. I think he'll succeed very well at the next level. Two, how do you guys feel about James Proch? And why has no one really been talking to him? He has 209 receptions and 27 TDs over the past two seasons. His hands are crazy. Why so overlooked? As always, thank you guys for everything you do. James Prochet. I mean, I, th- I-, I think he is being uh, over- overlooked as well. I think there's one thing about him uh, in terms of when I watch him move, he's a little bit stiffer than some of these other receivers. Some of them tend to, they're more fluid, and uh, Prochet t- tends to be a little bit stiff in how he moves. A little, uh, so I'm kind of concerned about a lack of fluidity compared to other guys, but he can go up and get some balls. Buff Stuffalo, Derek Brown presents an intriguing question if he's there at 15. The most up-to-date analysis of potential value shows that interior defensive linemen are among the least impactful players on the field. I understand the theory behind the interior pass rushers are important, but the numbers find that games are won and lost in the air by quarterbacks, wide receivers, and defensive backs. The analytics-driven approach says to stay away from interior players, even if they're talented in the first round. How do you factor that into your analysis? And then he posted the positional value article. It's an interesting look at the at that. I think, you know, Derek Brown, the reason why you would take him at 15 is because he is an elite player at what he does. And we've talked about it a lot. The goal at 15 should be to – the goal in the first round should be to get elite players. Um, and I think that in the interior value has certainly gone up. You know, no one's saying that Aaron Donald doesn't have value on, with what he's doing on the interior. He's maybe the hardest defensive player to game plan. Now, that doesn't mean Derek Brown is, uh, is Aaron Donald. But I think interior presence – is actually more valuable than maybe it's being given credit for here, especially in today's NFL. And the one thing about that is that particular article is entirely an analysis. It's entirely reliant upon PFF. And one thing we've discussed is that, you know, PFF, it's a very good tool, but it's not the be all end all. Yeah, for sure. I think um, if you're like, the way I'm, – I'm also a big fan of doubling down on strengths. The Broncos' defensive front is already a strength. You add a Derek Brown there, you are elite. Now, you don't double down on strengths uh, if it doesn't uh, – uh, if it doesn't – what's the word? Present itself in this specific way. Like, obviously, you want to fill holes. But in this specific way, if you're able to get an elite player at an area that you're already very good – especially when we know that you have to stop Patrick Mahomes and maybe the best way to do it is with your defensive front. I think that's the way to go. Triad Bronco says, Hey y'all, I'm officially going to kick off the dad, the, the dad joke showdown. So for all of my DNVR uh, out there, bring your best stuff. Here we go. Last night I dreamt I was a muffler. 
I woke up exhausted. On that note, I'll see myself out. God bless. Did you he hear about said, the chameleon? Who, did you hear about the chameleon who couldn't change color? No. He had a reptile dysfunction. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, wow. And here's one for you since, RK, you like a good dad joke. I thought this is something that makes me think of you. You say, I tell dad jokes, but I don't have any kids. So I'm a faux pas. Wow. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Wow. Uh, and, and Zach, you missed it there. He said, for the DNV army. Oh, snuck that in. Yes. Yes. R, yep, because there's no A. It got me. Impressive. All right. Here comes a novel. So let's try and get through it here. From Elway for Prez. Fellas, longtime listener, infrequent commenter. Love your work and appreciate your points of view and ability to communicate them in an endearing way. I know you guys aren't proscribed draft gurus, but it's clear you each take great pride in prognosticating player outcomes and truly enjoy the core elements of team building. Given that, and the fact that the draft is literally the only form of live sports entertainment that matters in the universe for an undefined amount of time, it is no secret that we're all chomping at the bit and using something positive to look forward to and the entertainment that goes along with not just this Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, but the hype and buildup leading to it. This draft is it right now, and it's so damn important for our ascending squad, likely Elway's final GM legacy, setting up a, potentially, a potential franchise quarterback for success. Lots of draft capital. Holy hell, so much at stake. So I ask you this. As journalists, when you're evaluating something that is literally the only game in town and you need to find a different storyline to fill the programming, but none of the real information changes or is known, you understand the chatter and rumors at this point are mostly misdirection. How or when do you settle on a narrative of what you believe the Broncos should do, plant the flag, and then keep score? How will you measure success at evaluating your analysis of this draft? We all know mock drafts have flaws. Maybe a final statement. Uh, since we all use the, this draft as a ride that's helped us stay sane through the times and we'll never forget the 2020 draft as long as we live, I really want to know what your final answer is to the question that will get answered next week. I'd love for each of you, we're getting an assignment here, sometime before next Thursday during segment one to give your final draft statement, opinion, prognostication. Maybe not which specific players you want the Broncos to land, or maybe that is your narrative, but more so what form of the draft return, what the form of the draft return will look like, either positionally, stylistically, some or some theme that you hope takes place. Not a hot take, but the take you want to be able to go back five to seven years and out from now and smile proudly when listening to it. Your nailed it narrative of the 2020 NFL draft. Wow. I mean, we've got to start building our thesis now, but yes, my guess is we will, we will give something like this next week. Uh, probably Wednesday would be my guess, but man, just this week I've been thinking about, okay, who, who should the Broncos take? Who will the Broncos take? And I'm not set yet. And we're, we're a week out. That's still a lot of time, but I'm not set at all. And, uh, you know, it just when you're talking about that last part where, where I, uh, you know, plant my flag is last year. I was, I was all for not just Drew Locke, not just Drew Locke at 10. I was saying move up to draft Drew Locke. So right now, at least, I'm feeling really darn good about that. Yeah, uh, I think that'll be fun to do. We'll, we will give our final statement on the draft uh, Wednesday before in the, the first, draft. in the first segment. Yes, in the first segment. <laughs> 
All right. Uh, Oklahoma Bronco 58 says, we need to add the phrase draft value chart to the DNVR drinking game. With a week left until the first round, it's got me thinking, what is Goodell going to do when he walks up to the podium in his basement and only hears silence? Will he pass out? Will he have his family come down and boo as he announces the picks? Or will he nervously break out in Mace's cornholio voice as he announces the picks? What are the thoughts that pop in my head while grinding away at Xbox at 4 a.m.? While I would love it if he did the Cornholio voice, I think it would be a phenomenal moment if somebody at his home has a speaker that plays booze. Yep. It would be. Make some of the first picks. It'd be it'll a really sh- smart move from him. It'll show us how self-aware he is, whether or not he does right. that. Or even if it's just his family booing him, that, that would be hilarious. Yeah, it would. Yes. Uh, Lean into it. Lean into the booze. It all, one of the things that bothers me about the draft day movie is that – when he walks up to the podium, it's cheers. They edited out the booze. They changed the noise. No, lean into them. That's it's fun. It's part of it's draft tradition now to boo the commissioner. Oklahoma Bronco leaves a second comment and says, "A thing that was brought to my mind while listening to the pod. Somebody mentioned that feelings with certain picks, and one of them was Paxton. Well, it just so happens that that day was my 18th birthday, and I was so disgusted that we drafted him. And, and I remember yelling, "Who?" when we picked him. So I guess I can say, or I guess I can only say, thanks, John Elway, for the worst birthday present I've ever received. Oh. When I saw "who" in all caps, I thought he yelled "World Health Organization." W H O. That's the world we live in now. From Broncos only, Mace. On yesterday's pod, you said that Cody Latimer's failure to, ve- to develop was probably due to, in some part, to external factors. What do you mean by that? He was the wrong type of receiver for Peyton Manning and vice versa. And, you know, Peyton Manning, as we know, he can be very hard on guys. Some players can handle it very well. Others struggle with that. You recall seeing Peyton uh, against the Browns in 2015 when there was an incompletion to Cody Latimer, and I believe the Broncos punted right after that. And there was a pretty, pretty thorough scolding on the part of Peyton Manning towards Cody Latimer. A lot of guys can handle that, but there are some guys that can't handle kind of the pressure that Peyton Manning would put up, would put on them. Cody Latimer is one of those guys that I think got broken a little bit by that. And he's ended up becoming a solid player, solid special teamer, not what you'd expect from a second round pick, but he's got a place in the NFL, but Denver and Peyton Manning, it was just the wrong team and the wrong quarterback for him. Huge failure on the Broncos part not getting a guy that Peyton Manning would love. I mean, that should be a very <laughs> obvious thing to do when you're drafting a wide receiver. Imagine uh, Jarvis Landry instead of Cody Latimer. Yep. From Elroy Jetson, can you smell what DNVR is cooking? Sorry, guys, couldn't resist. After hearing you have something cooking for the draft, LOL, your boy Elroy. Oh, do we have something cooking? And you should be able to smell it all across the nation, all, all across it- the world. And it is, it's marinating right now. Let me tell you the way it's looking. Mwah! Mm. Looking great. Mm. Perfection. Next one from Butch Cassidy. What is the most heartbreaking loss in Broncos and football history? Ooh. Broncos. Well, is it uh, Baltimore 2000? I, the year was technically yeah. 2013. Yes. Playoff game. 96 obviously plays a role, but it wasn't the same uh, heartbreaking nature the, the way the game fell. Right. No, the one thing, though, at the time with 1996, 
when they lost to Jackson, remember that was the end of John Elway's 14th season. Yep. So there was a certain desperation in the days and even weeks after that loss wondering, okay, was this the shot? Is, are we ever going to get there uh, for John Elway? And that's one of the reasons why when they won it the next year, kind of the, when Pat Bowen said this once for John and held up the trophy, it was because of all the, the steps along the way, including the previous year when they fell short. And I mean, I remember uh, Jim Sacamano telling me how he felt after that loss. It was a pretty dark time for the Broncos. Whereas the Baltimore loss bad, as, bad as it was, even though Peyton Manning was, uh, was getting toward the end of his career, it was still Peyton Manning's first year as a Bronco. So you kind of thought, okay, uh, maybe there's there's something more coming, and it turned out there was. All right, I've got to pick up the speed here a little bit. From Mr. Bezos, will Drew Locke be able to prepare for the season with VR if there's a delay in OTAs in camp? Uh, mm, that depends. It depends if the, yeah. I, I guess it would depend on the stay-at-home order being lifted so that he could go to the facility. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I guess they could maybe have them. I don't know what what how big the VR system is. Maybe they could set it up in his apartment. Well, part Maybe. of it is they, they also have to make sure they got all the video in as well. So, I mean, in theory, there's a way, but it, but in terms of getting it installed, it might take too many moving parts in terms of people involved with it to make it happen for true luck when he's working remotely. Yep. Dan trade up for Ruggsburg. Pro football talk are running an interesting poll, and I wanted to know what y'all thought. Would you rather have the current Chiefs roster or the best players on the Raiders, Broncos, and Chargers roster? interesting it's not really that interesting <laughs> i knew you're gonna say that <laughs> you take you take the best quarterback you take patrick mahomes you take patrick mahomes and, and forget about anything else like you have to, you, you have to have that building block the broncos might have it but you know for a hundred percent fact that you have it with the chiefs roster so it, none of the rest of the roster even matters right oh, even though right. there's not there are quite a few players who are non-slouches on the Chiefs roster because you're getting Chris Jones and you're getting Tyron Matthew and you're getting Tyree Kill. You're getting Travis Kelsey. And right. I but, uh, I mean, I will say this. You probably put together one of the greatest defenses of all time with the, with the mix <laughs> yeah. of the other ones, although the Raiders aren't helping too much in that category. But, I mean, you mix together the Broncos and Chargers defenses. You, you have a surplus at certain areas, like safety. Um, but regardless, you are putting together a nasty defense. It still doesn't matter. If you're starting a franchise, you're taking the best quarterback. And you get to welcome Chris Harris back. Next one from Pa Nu, that P3ANU7. Pinu. Peanut. Peanut 7. Yeah, okay. Hey, guys, I hope to get this one in on time. Quick question about the latest mock, about the last mock draft. Since Harris is on a one-year deal, and Casey has no guaranteed money left, instead of drafting Derek Brown, would it be smart to offer Casey a new contract? Maybe lower his overall cap hit, but offer him more guarantees. Four years, $40 million with $25 million guaranteed. Solve a future need while also being able to get rugs. The one thing about Casey, he's still a good pass rusher, but his production has declined over the last few years relative to his 2013 to 2015 peak. So I want to see where he is before I'm talking about anything uh, beyond what is a very team-friendly contract effectively going year to year without guarantees. I'm not hooking up a player of that age with a four-year contract. Don't also, 
don't do what you just did. You just made that mistake with Joe Flacco. Now I know the Broncos organize it in a way, but I hope they realize that, okay, if we don't have to guarantee anything, let's not. Yep. Last one here from Just Ice Hold the Water. Hey, guys. I don't know if this question is be, has been asked, but are Elway and the Broncos still targeting players that have great character, leadership skills, and or maturity? This model has seemed to work for Elway. Does, do Ruggs, Judy, Lambs, Werfs, Jefferson, Brown, or other fit this model? Thanks, guys. Just Ice Hold the Water. Yeah, I believe John is sticking with uh, with that philosophy. Of, but but it, it's not like every single player has to fit all of those. It's just he wants to get good guys in. Yeah, yeah I mean, it, Noah Fant it, wasn't a captain no. or anything of that sort, but he is a good dude. Right. Yeah, and, I th- and that's where it's, it's kind of a sliding scale. It seems like the captains and the team leadership things become more important as you get – down the line into the draft and like into the second, into the second day and even early in the third day. That being said of those guys, uh, I know that Tristan Wirfs is somebody, I don't know if he actually has the captain uh, role at Iowa, at Iowa when he was there, but someone who was a team leader on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah. It's something that as I, I agree gets more important the further down the board you go. Uh, it's kind of more of like a tiebreaker for them. Uh, when it comes down to it uh, I want to give yeah, a sh- one, one more wait we got one more question in here oh. just real quick bring back the RRPPO hot take Elway will pass on one of the Alabama receivers at 15 because of his disdain for drafting Alabama players thoughts hope not <laughs> I don't think so I mean you know you talk about the lack of production for Henry Ruggs well that might actually be a positive in John Elway's eyes when it comes to drafting an Alabama player <laughs> all right yeah because he uh he didn't get all the wear and tear Yep, exactly. All right, before we head out, shout out to Davidson's two locations, Centennial, Highlands Ranch. They're locally owned. They've got a massive selection. The owners are big Colorado sports fans. They're big supporters of us. So every time you support them, it's akin to supporting us. We really appreciate it. You can get your Breck brews there, whatever spirits or wine you may need. Uh, but hit them up. Uh, you can get pickup or delivery from Davidson's. It's really great great selection everything you could possibly need but for today that's going to wrap it up for us on the dnvr broncos podcast we shall talk to you tomorrow